Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 is back across the Outkick network. Welcome to the 6th and Peabody studio alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us. Big show planned today. Live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We are ready to go. We're going to talk Dak Prescott getting a second MRI. Deshaun Watson hates Groundhog Day as he walks out to practice and he's filmed by the reporters. We'll let you know what he had to say to those reporters this morning in Houston. That and much more throughout the next two hours. And Tennessee Power Hour coming up an hour from now with a lot to discuss on the Tennessee Volunteers and Tennessee Titans. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Another day of some exciting news yesterday from Titans training camp. Some uh, interesting news this morning from my wife where I've received a very strange text message. Yes, what's if the I may tell you about paper this. towel situation in your house? So we're going to show you the text right now. This is a little slice of life moment on uh, Outkick 360. <laughs> so get a text from my wife and it reads as follows. I did a target order and somehow ended up with 53 rolls of toilet paper. Where are you? Playroom. Lose you. Okay. Don't hide. Yeah, do that. Thanksgiving toilet paper, paper towels. As for when we wash your face and hands. Yeah, mommy. Yeah, mom is trying to get I know itself. And then Angie says, oh, my gosh, my watch was recording me talking to Lucy in the second half of that message. <laughs> now, this is really remarkable technology. Fantastic. She's talking into her watch at home and trying to tell me about accidentally ordering 53 rolls of toilet paper. And my two-year-old, almost two-year-old daughter, walks up and starts talking to her, and it's catching the exchange between both of them. So that's a little bit of Lucy, a little bit of Angie throughout that text message. And um, I thought that was something I to share. It. Slice of life. Yeah. And, and it's most I've heard Lucy speak. I have Lucy, to hear it in a text. Where are you, Lucy's playroom? very quiet when Lucy we're does nothing but speaks Until once she gets comfortable. Around. To the point where we can't take her anywhere. I mean, we're at church for 15 minutes because she just speaks so loudly. And there's one volume, and that volume is 12 on a scale of 1 to 10. And there's no stopping her. She's going to continue talking. You can shh, shh, you can do all of this, and she's going to keep talking and asking you questions and going. There's no so stopping her. so funny because every time I've been around her, she's, she's just totally silent and stares. And silent. Yeah. I think of her as silent. She is not silent. Once she's comfortable, and her and her sister, they will talk up a storm. They talk to each other all the time. Uh, not silent either. And by the way, Chad, that was tremendous. Yeah. Uh, and I, Classic text. For some reason, I feel terrible for Angie having to <laughs> keep up with all that during the day. Where are you, playroom? And then how many, what, hey, let's go back to the toilet paper. Why so many rolls of toilet paper? She actually, I think she tripled her order. Like there was, there was something she was doing. Uh, my wife is great about this, and I'm terrible about it. She'll find the deal at every place that we shop. 
So there's some offer at Target where she was trying to combine some different things to get some sort of deal. And I think she tripled the offer. So it ended up being 53 rolls of toilet paper. Oh, and that, that's the issue. You have storage space, no? Yeah, I mean, it's, we're going to have toilet paper for a while. I mean, I just look at it. She's all <laughs> mad about it. I'm thinking, I mean, it doesn't go bad. No. You know, it's not like right. uh, something that's going to go, go bad in the, you know, if you don't keep it in the fridge long enough. So we'll just have toilet paper for a while. It's great. Um, oh, Angie sends me a text. Keeping up with Lucy's a tough job. Someone's <laughs> got to do it. She, uh, yeah, it's... I don't envy her position. That's why you run out of here a lot of days. <laughs> I don't envy her position. <laughs> you go there, at, call at in home. the relief pitcher. Yeah, it's not, definitely not easy. Um, so I was walking into Titans practice yesterday behind Paul, and just a, a visual uh, because of some COVID protocols and other things where there's like a, for lack of a better word, there's a gathering area, uh, a pen, where you, they release us to practice whenever it's open for us to go in. And as we walk in and turn the corner, and it's a, what, like a hundred... 100 yard walk maybe to the practice field as we turn the corner aj brown is on the bike and we have been through the the storylines with paul this week with aj brown and paul i'm not sure you were in front of me i'm not sure what you turned and said to him but i as he's pedaling away I i said hey can we talk later oh can we talk later and and he says of course he's pedaling he's smiling he's like of course paul I got no beef with you. We got no beef. Uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. But uh, that, that then led to the post-practice encounter where he extended his hand to you coming out the practice field. You shook his hand and said what? Uh, the handshake was actually after we talked. I just said, hey, and, you know, the first tweet lacked a little bit of context, but I'm out here to offer opinions to a large yeah. degree. It's, it's, it's my job. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fair in my coverage of this team. I, I, I might be hard, but I'm, I'm fair, and uh, it's, it's what I do out here. And he said, you know, I'm defending my guy. When I said, that, you know, I, I understand that. But, you know, in the context of the whole thing, you know, people, uh, you, you know, you and I understand how the dynamic works out here between a guy like you and I. But the general public, reading your tweet that was up for however long it was up, don't understand it and so i just wanted to make sure you know we're good and he said you know we're good we shook hands and that's the end of it it's, well, it's the end of it but if you're, if you're worried people. about what other people were thinking about the how they perceive that tweet that's not the end of it because there's no second tweet well no one's uh, i mean <laughs> yeah we'll see we'll see where we'll see where that goes but I, i'm much more concerned with um you know maintaining the relationships i have out there and that's what you do if there's any kind of uh, confusion or complication. And there are a ton of people in this town, I think of one, uh, who, who uh, like to pop off about players. I didn't pop off about a player, by the way. But um, this, is, this is how it works. If there's confusion or if you write something harsh about a guy, you get in front of the person in question as yeah, soon there. as possible. You don't hide. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was looking for him the day before that and I didn't have a chance to, to see him. So I was going out of my way yesterday um, to sacrifice whatever was going on at the railing and to, to have a conversation with him. That happened and life goes on. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. You can follow the show there. You can also do that on Instagram. And we invite you to join us on YouTube in the chat. And while you're on YouTube, 
and you're searching out the Outkick 360 channel, subscribe and then ring the bell so that you know we go live each and every weekday, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. By doing so, you're automatically entered to win the Sony and Hertz Audison prize pack. You can see it on the screen, but I'll describe it for you. It's the Sony car stereo system, the Hertz Audison speaker system. It's over a $2,500 value. One lucky subscriber will win this prize pack from Sony and Hertz Audison coming up at the end of the month. We'll draw a winner on Tuesday, August 31st. So go subscribe now. Search out Outkick 360. Hit the subscription button. Just putting a bow on that, Hutton. Uh, Joe Rexroad trained his, his phone on it, uh, either while we were talking or right at the end. And, of course, he gets a picture in the, in the one second where AJ extends his hand before I extend my hand. And so he makes a joke of it. Of course, some people take that seriously as if I wasn't extending my hand. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he extends his hand. I extend my hand. There's a picture taken in the second between the second hand coming up. Yeah, of course, we shook hands like normal people. One person extends their hand, then the second person extends their hand, then they shake hands. That's exactly how The it treaty was signed right after as well with... Uh the, there was an inkwell there and yes. everything that the Titans right. provided. They put on powdered wig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, liked, I liked that visual. Paul, how often do you use the mute function on your Twitter? Uh, at, at times like this? You often. should do it more often. Yeah. In fact, I would take everyone that has a nameless, faceless uh, Titans fan picture that's tweeting you stuff, just mute them. That, that's a good way to go about that. I, I do it uh, yeah. in, in sports often. Also try to look less in, in spurts like that. But a lot of those people uh, who are, you know, reacting ridiculously to this, you know, today I've got a, this morning I've got a story up about the Titans hiring an analytics guy, and they're dying for that story. We'll get into that coming up in the Tennessee Power Hour. We, we mentioned earlier uh, this offseason that they had posted the, the job opening for that, and they have filled that position. We'll, we'll get into details there. Also preview the uh, preseason matchup against the Falcons with some things we want to see. The Vols had a scrimmage today. We'll detail that for you and uh, get Josh Heupel's thoughts as well. Dak Prescott having a second MRI. Uh, Jacob has the tweet from the Dallas Cowboys, which is to me I found very weird. Um, so the second MRI on the shoulder, which has kept him out of practice for two weeks. He is, did some light throwing yesterday. They announced that he's going to have a second MRI on the shoulder as camp breaks, and they, and they head back for some joint practice work and, and then a, a, a preseason matchup uh, coming up tomorrow. But the Cowboys tweet out this. It's not a setback, and it's not a reason to worry, but quarterback Dak, Pres Dak Prescott is planning on getting another MRI. Depending on the results, I'm, it may be a reason to worry. It's very weird how they put this out there and say, hey, it's not a setback, and it's no reason to worry. Oh, but oh, by the way, our star quarterback, who missed the majority of last season with a broken leg, is now going to have a second MRI on a shoulder that's kept him out of practice for two weeks. Uh, that, that To me, that's like... I'm more concerned after reading that tweet. The results of the MRI will tell you if it's a setback or if it's a reason to worry. So you can't, you can't, uh, you can't have prior restraint here on the worry and the setback. You have to see the results. If right. the results are bad, then there's well, plenty of set, potential setback and worry. In reading the report 
the reporting that's gone on in Dallas, um, it, it sounds as though they're doing the second MRI to see how quickly they can get him back into full practice, more so than assessing damage or him not feeling right. I think uh, Stephen Jones went on um, 105.3, I think is the station that the, the Cowboys are on there in Dallas. And they, he said that Dak is ready to get back and they're trying to hold him back. Well, Dak was and, ready and, to get back the first day. Well, but, yeah, but he did. I mean, he's been out two weeks, though, with this, with this shoulder. And, and now they're, they're – Dak says he's playing in the final preseason game against the Houston Texans. They open up the season on that Thursday night against Tampa Bay. That's when we're going to see him. But the reporting makes it sound like the second MRI is more so just confirmation that he can gradually get back to practice than it is, oh, I'm not feeling right. Let's get this looked at again. It's just, it's odd that the team tweets out that and says, nope, don't look here, but the star quarterback's getting an MRI on the shoulder again. I watched Hard Knocks last night which I think most people forgot started. I, I wanted to ask you guys about this because this is the least buzz yeah. I've, I've I, heard around the hard knocks, and I got about 30 minutes through it. I've, I've still not completed it. But let me tell you about yeah. the DAC stuff, okay? Yes. So uh, they show him warming up, and then they don't, they don't show him, like, having trouble with the shoulder. They show the trainer going over to McCarthy and saying, hey, I had just shut DAC down. He, he was loosening up. And uh, he had some pain as he was opening up. I shut him down. And McCarthy's like, do uh, you think it's muscle? And he said, it's not tricep. It's not bicep. It could be, uh, you know, shoulder. And uh, he's like, uh, all right. Now, Dak's all pissed off already. Mm -hmm. Dak's all pissed off that they're limiting his snaps early. He's standing on the sideline griping every time he's out. Like, I, I don't want to be out. I don't understand why I'm out. You know, all of this stuff, which I guess is good. You know, your quarterback's super eager to be in there. But Well, um, he just signed a big contract, and he's coming and he's off the coming injury. coming off the injury, right. But you also understand, like, hey, they're going to measure my snaps based on the injury. But he was halfway through practice, still standing out there, and MacArthur, McCarthy says to the trainer, why, why, why are we having him out here? And he said, well, you know, he just said he wanted to be out here. And McCarthy says, shouldn't we go in and have the exam and, and we start on the, on the treatment? Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, if that's what you want. So McCarthy goes over to Dak and he says, look, I, I respect the fact that you want to be out here, but we need to send you in and have the examination and get started on the treatment. And to me, it's odd that, you know, if your quarterback can't throw, you'd send him in and get the examination started. You want to know what's wrong. Right. So Dak goes in. Then later in the episode, <laughs> and this was the funniest part to me, Jerry who's got a burger on his desk. It looks a lot like the burgers that we had. At no, Jerry's. he was eating a McGriddle from McDonald's. It was a breakfast, uh, a biscuit, breakfast biscuit from McDonald's okay. that he had. Oh, so, and he put salt on it. Salt, yeah. A lot of salt, yeah. I was thinking the blood pressure stuff can't be good. So he says, <laughs> he calls the trainer on the speaker I find phone. the man to be remarkably healthy considering that's, that's still at this age, his diet in the he morning. Calls I'm the like, guy on the speaker phone. Must be doing something right. He is like trying desperately to come up with something. He's like, hey, is there any way that we could have him just throw you know maybe like not far <laughs> you know just have them like throw short medium light <laughs> and the trainer's like no you know I was talking to the Rangers guy and the Yankees guy and really the the path here is to rest not throw and Jerry's kind of like all right I guess he won't throw 
<laughs> it's like, can't we treat the bad shoulder by having him just not throw hard? Let's just, yeah, can we get into a season where he doesn't throw it over 10 yards? Can he just go out and be successful as the quarterback not throwing it more than 10 yards? I thought the response from McCarthy was very telling because I actually made it to that part where he's informed by the trainer that there is some sort of strain with, with Dak Prescott. And his body language. His body goes. language is like, oh, yeah. what is it? Where? What was he doing? Just warming up? You know, you tell it's very it's a it's a look of disgust about his quarterback who was out last year with an awful injury, and now there's something else with a completely unrelated body part that they don't even know. I mean, the, the guy's saying maybe it's a lat. You know, we don't think yeah. it's his tricep or his bicep. Maybe it's a lat, but he's feeling some tightness and just doesn't feel right. And McCarthy's not even responding verbally, just kind of walking and looking at him like, okay, well, let's, Here we go. let's see what happens. I also thought there's this telling thing. You may have seen memes about it. He, he showed an Austin Powers clip, and he created this mojo moment in practice. Like, and I just thought, this feels like a real disconnect for a guy showing, uh, what is it now, 15, 20-year-old oh, movie? Oh, I mean, it was late 90s. Most of these guys. Mid-90s. I'm trying to think Austin Powers. I mean, I was in middle school, I think. Austin Powers was 1999. So high school. I'm yeah. going to guess. I mean, are these guys connected to Austin Powers? If they flip by, we'll it compare on TNT, that to Brian Dayball from from his his way to connect with the team. Yeah, I I just don't think it was a real. Con- and he's he said something like, yeah, uh, the press asked him about it. And he's like, well, for, first off, you know, you can't pass on a chance to show. An 1997, by the way, the okay. original Austin. Can't Powers. pass on a chance to show the guys an Austin Power clip, and I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, you, you can. This this isn't relatable to them in the way that you're acting like it's relatable. And the guys are kind of like stilted, giggling. Like, I think they're laughing at it like, this is funny that you think this is fun. This is an old man that's <laughs> out of touch. Uh, by the way, it was The Spy Who Shagged Me. That was 1999, oh, the, the follow-up to the original oh, well, uh, International Man of Mystery from 1997. That, that's why maybe? I was confused. Um, I also, the Bones fossil explanation of yeah. his vasectomy vasectomy and reverse mastectomy that's one i could have done without the, the whole yeah, explanation like he's a science teacher with hit, his room it started with a guy getting hit in the crotch there were just a lot of reaches in in the whole storyline i thought it was one of the worst episodes of hard knocks i, I could remember cd lamb got hit in the in the privates passing somebody and then they made a big thing about it, it was like they went for cheap laughs throughout much I, of the episode. Uh, and there, were, there weren't a lot of overlay. I thought Dak Prescott was probably the most interesting player that they followed around just because of his whole demeanor about wanting to be out there. But Zeke Elliott, I, I, I thought it was that fun was when he was trying to wrap the present by the YouTube. For, for the first time, he's wrapping Dak Prescott's birthday gift, and he's following a YouTube instruction video on doing it, and then he just gives up it and decides like to disaster, wing it. disaster, but he got it done. Right. I mean, that, that part was okay. But, yeah, it's just – I was thinking about it this week, and typically that's a huge moment in preseason and build-up to football is the first episode of Hard Knocks, and it fell flat even with, quote-unquote, America's team. Yeah, they didn't pick an underdog. Uh, they had the Hall of Fame game, and they didn't – I don't know. It was very flat. I was it's the third, or, it's I was the third or fourth time they've been on Hard Knocks now. Yeah. The Cowboys. I don't know. There, there was no buzz leading into it either. Usually they, yeah. they hype it up better yeah. and kind of anticipate it. Like, and I thought, I need to check that out, and uh, it had already happened. Um, Paul, you mentioned a, a cheap attempt at humor uh, on Hard Knocks. I, I find the news out of Jacksonville to be a cheap attempt at trade bait. 
with Gardner Minshew, uh, where they are trying to claim in Jacksonville that there is actually a quarterback battle for the number one job between Minshew and Trevor Lawrence. Uh, this is not a battle. And Gardner Minshew, I, I can't help but tie in the Cowboys storyline here. It would make some sense for the Cowboys to inquire about Gardner Minshew if there's a shoulder problem with Dak Prescott. Uh, we have also uh, heard trade discussion with the Colts. They have been linked to him, uh, although that's an, a, a divisional opponent that's unlikely, I would say unlikely to happen. Uh, among the quarterback, backup quarterbacks right now, that would be on the market, Minshew to me would be among the top of the list for this reason. Many of you have never walked around the Jacksonville airport or you know, gone for a stroll in downtown Jacksonville. But for the last two, three years, Minshew has been the face of the franchise. I mean, and, and, and I'm not saying that's a good thing, but he is on the, the walls of the airport as you walk through the Jacksonville airport. It's Gardner Minshew. This is going to be a complete turnover in the mentality of the organization. And I don't think they're going to keep him around as the backup quarterback for that. They, they have been publicizing in a PR battle, not a battle, a push uh, for Minshew mania. Now, they've, now it's Trevor Lawrence. And, and to me, if there's a quarterback that's going to be traded before week one, it's Gardner Minshew uh, as, as compared to some of these other quarterbacks that would be mentioned in some of these storylines. My opinion on that, but this whole, he, we're, we haven't decided on who's the number one guy yet, that's BS. It, it's Trevor Lawrence. Urban Meyer took the job in part, in large part, because Trevor Lawrence was going to be his quarterback. That's a huge driving point for why Urban Meyer decided to be the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars now. It's because they get to build around a franchise quarterback with the number, overall, number one overall pick. He didn't take the job because Gardner Minshew was there and was going to battle for the job. Well, it's dumb to sell any kind of competition. Agreed. But I disagree with you on the trade because their third quarterback is C.J. Beathard. And I, I, I just if Trevor Lawrence gets hurt, you know, you get a much better chance with Gardner Minshew than C.J. Beathard. C.J. Beathard's been a starter in this league, though. I mean, he's, it's kind of like the Matt Barkley debate, right? If you're a starter and the results aren't great, what does that really mean in terms of the value of experience? But he has started some games. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're going to trade Minshew, it's because you have some faith in, in Beathard. Um, but, uh, you know, I... I, I to me, you got to have a decent backup. If you, if you have one, you're not giving them away unless somebody's bowling you over. And I don't know that anybody's bowling anybody over for Gardner Minshew. Well, here's, here's why I would, or for Nick Foles here's why I would trade him. It, I, I think what you're saying is it, it's interesting, Paul, but I, I will say this about Jacksonville. If Trevor Lawrence goes down with injury, their season's over regardless. I mean, their season's over before it begins. It's a rebuilding team. They're not going to be very good. They were 1-15 a year ago. Um, I don't know that the drop-off from – and I do think there is a drop-off between Gardner Minshew to C.J. Beathard is enough to prevent you from getting something in return if a team really wants Gardner Minshew. And I think Minshew is not a starter in this league, but Minshew is a good juice guy off the bench. He's a guy as a backup that you don't completely feel like you're out of the game when your starter goes out yeah. because there is an it factor with him, and he's such an un un unorthodox – unscripted type player 
that he can throw some problems at teams entering a game midstream when a starter gets injured. And there's a lot of value in that because there's not a ton of guys like that across the league that can be that good of a backup. And and look, fans are all going to say when your starting quarterback goes down, you're screwed, obviously. The coaches can't say that, and they got a team, a young team to develop around whoever that quarterback is still, right? LaVisca Chenault and, and all of these guys still need to play games that are meaningful in their development, in their development to be ready for Trevor Lawrence when Trevor Lawrence reemerges if he were to disappear for the year. Look, I, Knock on wood for him. I, I find Minshew entertaining. He's not very good. uh, There were spurts last season where he couldn't play in front of Mike Glennon. The Jags were playing Mike Glennon instead of Gardner Minshew. Uh, There was talk that Joshua Dobbs was going to get a ton of work at the end of last season. So how attractive is he as a a trade go-get? Well, exactly for the reasons Chad just mentioned. Uh, That's that's why. And he he gives you – some value if you're an NFL franchise that's looking for a bridge guy. It's not you're not trading for a backup quarterback right now. That's going to be it. The, the example would be Jimmy Garoppolo and, and the the trade to Indy. That was a, that was mentioned initially, Paul and Chad and I have had this discussion I'd previously. Have him for sure. Yeah, but you wouldn't if you just signed Carson Wentz as your franchise guy. Why would you have two franchise quarterbacks and inherit that contract? My, my point is, if you, think, if you think Carson Wentz is back by week eight, Gardner Minshew is a really good trade to make. I think too often we, and I'm going to defeat my own statement here with this, but we probably overrate experience in the league. Uh, even if the, if the experience is not necessarily great, and Hutton, you mentioned it, not being able to hold on to your job with Mike Glennon breathing down your neck, it's not like he was a star in Jacksonville, but I really do see the value in Gardner Minshew as a top-level backup for a team because of the experience, because he's been a starter. Um, here's an example. Why, why is Gardner Minshew more sought after than Josh Dobbs, for instance, who's been a backup in Pittsburgh? Because Gardner Minshew has started in the NFL, and, and he's played. I, I look at Josh Dobbs and Gardner Minshew, I don't see a huge difference in terms of their potential in the NFL. They're both backup quarterbacks. But Gardner Minshew is going to play the trump card with teams, and teams will want him before Josh Dobbs simply because he's gotten a shot. But Josh Dobbs is a damn four right now behind Ben, Mason Rudolph, and Dwayne Haskins. It's weird to me how Josh Dobbs seemingly falls down depth charts, but yet every time I see him in a game, he's fine. Yeah. <laughs> he's the one guy who leads a, a, his first, about him. first drive. And I get it's all backups and everything else, but gets into a game and they leads him right down the field for a touchdown and has a nice touchdown pass. But whatever he's doing in practice clearly isn't working because he continues to fall down depth charts. I don't I just don't – I'm not buying the headline that they're, they're, they're putting out there that there's a true number one oh, battle. No and no one's buying um, it. And no one should buy it. Say, but why would you put it out there? Because, I, I, because teams know that people are dumb and they're going to they're gonna buy what, what you're selling. Well, but, it's not just people. I, I think he puts it out there for his team to say, like, everything's a competition here. Nobody's handed anything. But uh, it, it, nobody's buying it in that locker room. Not everything is a competition. That's not re- there, there's another college kind of thing where that's the college mentality that everything's a competition. In the NFL, everything's not a competition. If you're the number one pick and you're looked at as a generational quarterback, 
uh, it's, and the other guy is Gardner Minshew, it's not a competition. I, and you lose credence in the locker room if you sell that one. Go sell the next thing as a competition. Or, or just be quiet about that. But Paul, and I know billboards come down and you change slogans and, yeah. and all that. But the, the, the marketing aspect of Minshew in Jacksonville, to me, that it, there's a clean break if you move on from that. Yeah, I don't think – I get what you're saying, but I don't think it's a big deal to just to peel those down, and I'm sure they're down already, and put up the, the new ones. The, the put up Urban. Too, Urban is a face that you're selling there, too. Of, yeah, of Urban course. and Trevor, put of them course. up together. Uh, the other thing, too, is Minshew's also very opinionated, and – He's going to speak his mind even as the backup. But, and I mentioned earlier, he's, I find him very entertaining. He mentioned to the press this week, he's like, look, I haven't taken a crap in two weeks because I'm not thinking about number two. Like, that, that, that's funny. But, like, that's, the, that's, what he's, that's what he's willing to put out there. Yeah. When even he knows Trevor Lawrence is the starter. Yeah, he's got to scale that back. When Tannehill got to Tennessee – he talked about that. There are things I have to do now. I'm but that's a, I'm a leader. My on that. I'm a number one quarterback. But the difference is, but my time and and but difference now is my job is to be behind Marcus. Tannehill Mariota. showed up and signed to be the backup. Gardner Minshew has been the starter, and right. someone else is coming to is but coming in all, to replace it's him. It's also not like it's he different. was a great success for a, a successful organization or anything. He, he had to expect that they were going to draft in front of him as bad as they were, and you got to be ready to take that step back. That's a great line, but I think it's reasonable for Urban Meyer to call you in and not be a jerk about it. Just say, what I need from you now is for you to inherit the backup role. He's not helping it by saying it's a competition. To slide into the backup role, which is, look, I love the personality, and we're going to need it at some point. Well, the but line, right now, but he's not doing that yet. You to be low key. He's not doing that yet because he's pushing know, this battle. Guy. So he, I think he likes it right now. I don't think he's going to like it in week three. Yeah. I don't know that it's good for them right now. The line only would have been made better hurts, if he so. followed up by saying, I'm, I haven't done number two, by saying, that's why I've looked slow and sluggish out there because I'm <laughs> extremely constipated right well, now. What if he said, <laughs> I'm, ca- I'm carrying about 25 extra pounds, so I'm not moving around the way I want to. Um, that's, that's been a problem. And excuse me, I, I, I wanted to save that to be able to deliver this line now, but I really got to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know who Gardner Minshew is? He's Jeremy Lin. I mean, as quickly as billboards and Jeremy signs can go up. Jeremy Lin was way better than, than him. Jeremy Lin was good for about a two-month period, and that was it. But he was great. He was great. Well, Gardner Minshew was, was really good for a short, short period of time. Didn't he win And they built marketing campaigns around him, and yeah. people were wearing fake mustaches. I mean, it, that's the other sport crossover to me. Is, and Jeremy Lin went on to be what? A decent bench player. The for other Knicks teams, made a good call on Jeremy Lin. It's the last one until recently. Well, that's what Gardner Minshew is going to become. His, his the rest of his career. Look at Jeremy Lin's career. That's what he has to look forward to, good or bad. I, I think uh, as far as trade value goes, uh, backups. Uh, you can expect Nick Foles to be cut in, well, he's in got Chicago because of the contract. I mentioned yesterday he's got a seven million dollar per year deal, and you're not going to pay that for a third string. Uh, the only way you would keep him is if you have an injury in the preseason. But again, uh, Foles is going to play a lot. He's the third string. Uh, if he stays healthy, to me, I think teams know that he's going to be on the market. Um, and on the Colts. It's not necessary. And on the Colts. And, and the Colts know they can probably sign him right after he's, he's cut prior to the start of the new uh, 
September 1st or whatever it might should, be. Should my my point, though, is there is some there. uncertainty on if Minshew would be on the market. So if you want, if you covet that style, and you're again, you're looking for just, if you're the Cowboys or the Colts, and you're looking for a guy who can give you half a season, and that's all you really need, then he's he's really good at that. I don't I don't think you're trading for him and then buying into him long term, like you would with some of this uh, some of the other quarterbacks that have been mentioned, uh, as far as guys that could be on the move. Um, coming up, we will get into some other headlines uh, today, uh, including the evaluation of of wide receiver. The headline. Uh, just reading through um, some of the, uh, the headlines from the weekend on the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction speeches and uh, ceremony. It was great. Um, Calvin Johnson going in, first ballot. Awesome. Uh, when you compare his numbers to where and the numbers that wide receivers right now are putting up, wide receivers on the Tennessee Titans, for instance, and the numbers they're putting up, it's going to be extremely difficult for guys like Kaharski in a Pro Football Hall of Fame selection room uh, to judge certain players against the all-time greats, as we would point to right now. It's, they're going to surpass them, and there's going to be a jumbled mess of wide receivers that would be Hall of Fame eligible today based on certain criteria. I, I'm eager to get Paul's take on this and much more. As we go to break, though, a, a shout-out to season ticket holders Austin and Grace Akbari. They, they welcomed a beautiful son, on Tuesday, Archie. And uh, Archie, uh, we welcome you to Outkick 360 as a new season ticket holder. They've been listening uh, here locally at the hospital to uh, 360 podcast. I know Austin told you, Chad, that it's been getting him through some sleepless nights. Said that we've been helping him. Uh, they, they've been to the hospital and he's been uh, partaking in a lot of Outkick 360 podcast and that's helped him uh, through some definite sleepless times. But look at that little bundle of joy. I know. Con- congratulations. Beautiful baby boy. Congratulations uh, on Archie, uh, new to the Outkick 360 family. Congrats to Austin and Grace. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Thanks so much for being with us and for watching on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever you maybe find us, and on podcast where you can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. We have a link tree available where you can search us out. Just find us on social media there or just search at Outkick 360 wherever you download your podcast. We're available for you uh, and certainly hope that you'll leave a review and a rating. Um, Paul, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult for you and those in the Pro Football Hall of Fame selection committee room down the road with some of these wide receiver debates. Um, and and it, it, what led me to this over the weekend was Calvin Johnson's induction. Um, Steve Smith and Andre Johnson will be first-time eligible uh, players in the voting cycle for the upcoming selection committee. Without any stats or just details of their seasons and, and careers, at first glance, first blush, are those two Hall of Famers? I, I, I have trouble saying off, off the top of my head. I think Andre Johnson probably a better case than Smith. Steve Smith is eighth all-time in receiving yards. Um, but you have to, I know that you have to dive deeper on some of this. He had three seasons of the 16 that were exceptional. Um, 
he he was elite. He was a, a top five elite receiver in, in three of those seasons. He had eight 1,000-yard seasons, eight seasons with fewer than 1,000 yards, so split it right down the middle. And, and just for comparison's sake, Calvin Johnson had over 1,000 yards in seven of his nine seasons, um, and Steve Smith had eight. Now, he, Calvin Johnson cut his career short, that we know. Uh, but seven for, of nine versus eight of 16. Yes, eight of 16 where he had over 1,000 yards. At his peak, Andre Johnson was far more productive than Steve Smith. That much we know. Uh, but if both of them get in, just based on the numbers, man, does that open the door for a lot of active receivers. Like For years, growing up or just watching the league, you wonder, okay, am I watching a future Hall of Famer here? The case can be made that we're watching plenty of them at the wide receiver position based on the criteria. Calvin Johnson, by the way, is 32nd all-time. Steve Smith is 8th. Now, he doubled the length of the career, but to, to me, that speaks volumes for, for what he could be. You know, Torrey Holt's not in. Um, I, I would put him ahead of Steve Smith or Andre Johnson, but there, there are going to be a number of guys playing right now that are Hall of Fame worthy based on what we're seeing. Yeah, well, I think it's our responsibility to a degree to shift with the eras, right? When we look back at some of the senior uh, committee nominees, we really do that a lot. We look back at the era. We put them in context. Back then, these numbers, you know, in the context of the time, were, were really good. But you have to keep in mind what a receiver in the 70s or the 60s or a tight end mm-hmm. w- was doing in that era. Well, I think it's our responsibility to look forward now. And if you're looking at Andre Johnson or Steve Smith, you have to look at their contemporaries and what's coming, the shift for, um, for receivers and the directions receivers are going. And I think we've probably reached kind of a pause point. Torrey Holt is maybe uh, the, the last guy, or I don't have the list in front of me, but right, Isaac Bruce just got in. Yeah, and Holt will. And Holt is, is on that line. But I think we're going to have to say, like, hey, if we're judging it largely on numbers, which it's hard not to look at the numbers at numbers-based positions, you know, if we're putting this guy in, look at these guys who are coming and how far along they are already. We're, we're setting a bar here that's going to be easier and easier to reach. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and if extra we're setting game. it, it's easier and easier to reach. Then the the door is going to get uh, the 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 alcove is going to get fuller and fuller of guys who are going to have cases that look like they should get in when maybe they're not on par well, with the receivers who are in the Hall of Fame. Well, and just uh, comparing Torrey Holt to receivers in the Hall of Fame, Torrey Holt had eight consecutive seasons of over a thousand yards. He had five straight seasons of over thirteen hundred yards receiving. Um, compare that to what A.J. Brown is doing, where he's had back-to-back seasons of 1,000 yards. Now he's got the 17th game. He's got the extra game. I mean, th- these guys are going to have more production, not less. And the, the Rams that started the trend of the greatest show on turf, and, you know, all, they're all getting in. They're, they're putting up big numbers. They all got in. And, and Holt's next up on that. I, I just uh, 
in, in evaluating Calvin Johnson as a first ballot guy, and I know you guys debate this a lot, but I, I'm just I'm looking at the league and I'm thinking, man, we're we're watching some guys that are going to not just break records. In some cases, they may shatter some records in, over in the, the next 10 years. I, I ask you guys this. In the modern NFL, and I know we're going to 17, but let's keep mm. considering 16. In the modern NFL, is a guy averaging 62 yards a game for a period of three or four seasons Hall of Fame worthy? That's a 1,000-yard season. It's 62 yards a game. You know, so does a thousand yards and now a thousand extrapolated to 17 seasons, a right. thousand, whatever. Is that the number? You know, I think we got to get off that thousand yard number. 17 is going to take us off that thousand yard number. And it's not just number. that, but I, and I know, you know you're I mean? saying, you're not saying that I'm either. I'm saying that we got to start talking 1300 or, <laughs> or whatever the number There's is. A new it's got to be. I think there has to be a sliding number. scale. I, yes. mean, I think it's in, in any slide sport, up. especially with an extra game, but in any sport, there's got to be a different level of uh, the bar you reach per that, whatever that era is. Because A.J. Brown and Tyreek Hill and Adam Thielen can't be judged against receivers of the 80s. It's impossible to do when just numerically, if you're just looking at numbers because Hutton's right. I mean, A.J. Brown's going to shatter a lot of those numbers by the time he's done. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a Hall of Famer. But you have to look at it based on era and, and really compare them with their contemporaries. And it's just it's so odd for me to get into these discussions about, boy, it's going to be a difficult decision because so many of the answers about is someone a Hall of Famer is an indescribable it factor that's different for every selector. Paul, you're one of them. But everyone who's going to have an opinion about it, you say a name and for some people it's going to say, well, that guy was the best in the sport for two years or three years, or, or top three player for three years, and you say his name and it demands respect, but then you look at someone else's numbers and it's not even close. And that player that you wouldn't describe that way suddenly looks like a Hall of Famer more so than the guy you would automatically assume is a Hall of Famer. So it's a difficult, it's a fun debate to have. It's difficult for me to carry out the debate because I, I really think it's an eye of the beholder situation when you factor in that it factor for these players. I think what's coming up here, my sense is, and I haven't looked at it closely yet, we're not in that yeah. time in the calendar, but I think there's finally a little bit of breathing room here where nothing's automatic, and that's going to serve to uh, – I, I think this year there are five spots to be sorted out. Last year, you know, you went in with Manning and Woodson. Woodson, and you knew at most there were three spots to, to be sorted out. And I think it's, it's, it's better in a lot of ways in a year where you can sort out five spots, uh, clear the decks, so to speak. Coming up, uh, some news on NFL officials, uh, just some – some housekeeping aspects of the preseason that will lead into the regular season and how they're now backed up for two consecutive years in one key aspect for NFL officiating. I'll explain that. Plus, Deshaun Watson uh, hates Groundhog Day, and it is every day right now the same trot out to the practice field and the same reporters all eyes on him. We'll discuss his reaction to that this morning in Houston. That's all straight ahead on OutKick 360.
Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Glad you're with us. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, Lance Lee, Jacob Swanson, David Reed, Dylan Taylor, making the show happen for us today. Becca Risley, Sleepy Danny, as we like to say, down the hall. As we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody, our downtown Nashville studios, the brand new studios, breaking it in this week with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. It's an active distillery here. Chat. You can actually come and watch everything go on right downtown, right behind the convention center. Every time we start to walk around this facility, we find something new. <laughs> um, and you can walk right up and see them make the moonshine here at Old Smoky. Um, they make the beer, a lot of it in Johnson City, some of it here. But it is a full-service distillery. We've got the gift shop right next to us, biggest TV, biggest indoor television in Nashville. Plenty of reasons to come out. Some of you have already said you're going to come out tomorrow and say hello right after the show. Please, come out for lunch any day. One o'clock, we're off air. We'd love to say hi to you. Absolutely. Uh, Football Zebra is a great website with just some details on tendencies and aspects of NFL officiating uh, that at least I find interesting. for now two consecutive years, and it's two because, of course, there was no preseason last year across the NFL. Now two consecutive years, they point out where normally there are trials in the preseason over the course of these games where you have veteran officials who are trying out to wear the white hat. You have the NFL referee opportunity open. You have potential future officials. So you have some college guys or uh, other league guys that are trying out to be one of the positional refs um, for one of these crews. You also, uh, in many cases, they have been testing the the eight-man crew and moving guys around just to see logistically what works. They are doing none of that this preseason. Um, And they didn't do it last year either. So that developmental work that they are known for cultivating, which they have done now for seven, uh, there has been at least one tryout every preseason since 2013. And 11 of the 17 White Hats, the lead refs of these crews, uh, they all participated in at least one of those referee tryouts over the course of their career to get their foot in the door. They weren't just appointed to that role. They're not doing that now for two consecutive years. So I think that's just important to note for the development aspect because we had the rash of retirements, what, three years ago with a lot of, you know, a lot of well-known officials on, on a weekly basis. Yeah, now. They replace them. What happens if they do that after this year? You know, they don't have the... They don't, they're not the going like two years, right? It, it, it is. Um, so they'll get that corrected soon, but I think it's important to point out that they haven't done that now for two consecutive years. Also, I haven't been able to figure this out, um, and I asked around yesterday at practice, at the Titans practice, um, Cleet Blakeman, as we know, Paul tried to speak with him earlier this no, week. tried to speak with his line judge. Oh, his line judge. His crew. Um, they are one of only two officiating crews that are allowed by the league, by the NFL officials in New York uh, to actually go to a practice. The Titans are one of only two organizations that have had the refs at practice. Um, I don't know how the Titans were selected. I've been trying to figure this out. No one knew the answer. I even asked one of the guys, uh, um, I I know one of the guys on on Cleet Blakeman's crew, um, and I asked him coming off the field yesterday. He didn't know. Uh, but the Titan and, and Blakeman will, will officiate. His crew is now headed to Atlanta. So game. the crew that's been here in Nashville will be in Atlanta for the preseason game. 
but the Titans were one of only two organizations that had worked with a, uh, a referee crew at practice. I, again, I don't know the reason for that, but a lot of teams aren't getting that one-on-one -on -one work where, for instance, yesterday, Vrabel, it was clear that he had scripted a practice with Cleet Blakeman where Blakeman knew exactly what was going to happen for a situational practice where his crew got a lot of work and Vrabel's crew and team got a lot of work and they, they worked in tandem on building that, that format for the practice yesterday. Other teams aren't doing that. And other officials aren't doing that this time of year. Blakeman's crew did. I, I, I just I find it something to monitor as we get going here. And I'm not saying there's reason to panic or anything. I just find it interesting um, that they only assigned two crews. And it's all due to COVID protocol. One, one point about this situational practice. <clears throat> and Vrabel hates that, that uh, I, I make fun of it. because, <clears throat> And the media makes fun of it. Only because they did this situational practice in front of fans one year at Nissan yeah. Stadium, which was absolutely ridiculous to have fans watch players watch punts roll out of bounds at a, at a fan practice. Obviously, all of these situations are, are necessary. I would have liked to ask him um, about situational exhaustion, a full practice that's all situations as opposed to tacking on situations to, to multiple practices, you know, having a situational period in practices. Because I, just watching it, was wondering yesterday, are guys able to stay focused on that for two hours? Right. All right, 11 seconds left, we need to get out of bounds. All right, 32 seconds left, and this and this and this happens. And some very price, precise situations where you're, you're hitting on a, a rule or a precise element of a thing that you're only going to come across maybe once in a season and your your brain is jammed with that over the course of two hours um I, i'm sure he has a rationale for doing it is and, there a load management for reason him. for it where it's a lighter day for many and that's why you I, cram it all into yeah, two it's hours definitely a lighter day i think the, the, you do the situational practice now because the officials are in town yeah and yeah. you, you and want them to explain help. to the players certain aspects of special teams crazy plays what's allowed what what's not allowed how many you know all all, all the alignments um game situations where you want the official there carl sheffers by the way is the other official that was with the cowboys why? and rams um I'm shy, by the way, while these officials are only these two crews are with somebody, um, there are officials at plenty of practice. It's just not NFL Crew. officials. Yeah, no, that's you, right. Teams hire right. people to come out <clears throat> that you're just not getting the premier people who you're going to have on Sundays. Chad, uh, this morning, you and I were scrolling through Twitter here at the desk, and um, Deshaun Watson, <laughs> they were live streaming his appearance. The Texans practice where he's got the towel, you know, tucked into his, his shoulder pads here. And it, uh, they weren't even in pads. It was just a jersey. Uh, as he walks out, he looks at one of the cameras. He's like, you guys, every single day, cameras pointed at me. Same bleep every day. Meaning he's strolling out to practice and the camera guys are getting the exact same shot of Deshaun Watson as they did the day previous. If he's, in fact, going out to practice on that particular day. He's clearly over it. How soon before the Texans are over it? Well, the Texans have to be over it now. I mean, this is a, it's talking about Groundhog Day. I mean, every time we bring up Deshaun Watson, it's Groundhog Day because the NFL does nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's status quo until the NFL decides to do something, and they clearly have taken the position of we're not doing anything until there's some sort of criminal charge. I know of the 22 women, I think 10 or 11 have filed 
criminal charges. So it's on the courts now. But it's on the courts now to do something. But it's, it's still a very odd situation because the NFL once again picks and chooses when they decide to levy a penalty. That They have had no problem levying penalties before and suspensions for no criminal charges. Zeke Elliott is an example of that. Ben Roethlisberger is an example of that. But for whatever reason, they don't want to do it with Deshaun Watson uh, in this situation. And because of that, the Texans are sort of held hostage. They're claiming... Because the, the Texans have every desire to trade Deshaun Watson. But teams out there, they don't know what the price tag is for Deshaun Watson because they don't know how long the suspension is going to be. Well, they know what it be. is. It's a lot less than Houston wants. That's where the impasse is. What, what I'm offering for Deshaun Watson is way less than what you want because of the uncertainty. But if the NFL came out and ruled he's good to go right now, then those teams maybe would pay yeah, that price. But they price can't say he's good to, to go it. because the grand jury comes back. And now, you said the grand jury's not the meeting until not January. until February or March. So he should be good to go for this year. Well, until a grand well, jury hang hands something down, unless no. something new comes out. Well, what, what's new is the NFL, in comparing Zeke Elliott and Ben Roethlisberger, the NFL had access to police reports. They had access yeah. to uh, witnesses. They have already admitted they have not they been don't. given access to any of, any of what is being accused of Watson. Is there any reason to suspect that changes? Well, there's uncertainty on whether or not they would actually get access to that. If they receive access to those files, Everything changes. then he could go on the commissioner's exempt list, and then why would you trade for him? So if you're a team, even if the NFL says he's good, which they're not going to say that, they're just not going to say that he's, he's, he's unavailable. Right. And uh, there, there is a lot of uncertainty there. They have admitted they have not been granted access to certain documents and interviews and witnesses, uh, lawyers, courts. So who's to say that a month from now they actually get that information and then make a decision that, okay, we're actually going to put things on pause. Why would you trade for a quarterback if that could be possible? We know he's not going to settle anything out of court because he's claiming complete innocence on, on all of this, on all 22 civil lawsuits. He's not settling, which means it's going in front of a grand jury in the offseason. So from his end, it's going to be status quo. You can't guarantee that from the NFL perspective because they could gain access to information they're claiming right now they don't have. This is the trouble with their policy is that they can't control the consistency of the information. Right. They're at the whim of the legal authorities in 32 different markets or, uh, <laughs> you know, 28 different markets, however many different markets, and the officials in those different markets. And so if you're a player, you're SOL in one market and fine in a different market or in limbo in, in Houston, Texas right now. And it's beyond the league's control. But the league doesn't do well when something's beyond its control because the league thinks more largely of itself. The league thinks it is the FBI and the, and the feds and local law enforcement. But here it is a... Is a a, a huge uh, example of the fact that it's not. And so what happens when you, you, you're proven to not be law enforcement, not have access to what you need, something could or could not happen between now and a January or February grand jury hearing, and a player is in limbo, teams in need of quarterbacks are in limbo, one of your franchises is in limbo, and all you do is pull back. Well, in general, back and stand there as a witness, like you're you're an innocent victim. 
Chad, it's an interesting just case study in general with how they're handling this because they have been criti criticized in the past. Goodell has been criticized in the past by both the players' union and the fans for being judge, jury, and executioner. Um, and yet, in this case, they have not been, and now they're leaving one of their teams in limbo without much flexibility in the Texans. They, they have been given no indication one way or the other from the league, and they just signed this guy to a, a multi-year extension over $100 million last September. He wanted to be traded before these allegations came out, and now the Texans are stuck because they've got a guy who doesn't want to be there. Uh, they also have a guy who's reporting so he doesn't receive a $50,000 a day fine. They have a new regime in place, and they have a league That's that is known for being uh, very harsh on penalties and suspensions that is saying, yeah, right now we, we're not bringing down the hammer on anything. That's the, that's the thing that's most unique about this. For the first time, they're not being judge, jury, and executioner. And maybe for the first time, the team that houses the offending player wants them to be judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah. Where every other time, the Houston Texans, if the, everything was status quo and he wanted to be a part of the team and he was their franchise quarterback, they would be up at night praying that Roger Goodell in the NFL were, was going to do alone. nothing and sit tight and wait for everything to play out like they are right now. Like Major League but Baseball now they're in a position. Yeah, now they're in a position where they're desperately wanting the NFL to do something, even though it's quote-unquote their guy simply because he's on their roster. Usually I'd be calling for everybody to come together and reach some great compromise. There is no compromise here because the legal element of it is the is the variable and there's no way to know what happens that's why it's called a variable <laughs> and so i think it just sits i think it just sits and and if houston's got deshaun watson just sitting there and they're losing games with this other cast of characters at quarterback you might as well play him yeah but if you play him you're i mean it's what a what a terrible message that sends um and beyond just the civil allegations here that the the fact that your franchise quarterback quit on you like one as soon as the titans texans game was over in january um he he wanted out what are you doing he, he he said he was not going he was not playing for the texans he wouldn't take david culley's phone call he wouldn't speak to nick casario he was out what are you doing uh, you can't cut them because you keep them inactive. I mean, that's all you can do. I, I don't. I mean, either Suspend way, it, you're you're going to pay him at least ten million this year. Either way, even if he's on the commissioner's list or he was on your roster, so um, I I just I, I I wouldn't be able to play him. Can you suspend him? You can put him on some kind of suspended list. I don't know. You I, just sit him. Yeah, it's it's going to be a weird weird year if the NFL doesn't act. You're wasting one of fifty three if you're just sitting him. I mean, that's a tough thing to do, just give up a roster spot. Or do you send a message and just cut him? But again, like, then, you're, then you have salary cap implications and everything else that go on board with that. It, it, is, it is a mess, a mess. And John McClain, who joins this show uh, and will uh, re rejoin us after the preseason games are up, but he can't join us live because the Texans are always practicing during this time. Uh, he still maintains there's no way he's playing another snap for the Texans. Uh, more on that as that story develops. Coming up, uh, is there a story developing with Caleb Farley? We, we will ask PK and we'll give our take on the number one pick for the Titans this year who is healthy enough to pass a physical one week into camp and practice 
but Vrabel says Caleb is not ready to play. We'll start there as the Tennessee Power Hour will kick off in a matter of minutes for OutKick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.